Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by the two Tims, Priester and O'Malley. Wrapping up Wake Forest, a game that we'll spend a little bit of time on, but obviously uh, the college football playoff rankings, that narrative sort of carrying the rest of the season for Notre Dame. But let's just jump back into Wake Forest, and I think the first thing I wanted to talk about was going into the game, I think we all, or at least I did, felt like, rest CJ Pro size, you're not going to miss him. After watching the game and sort of going through the replay on, on Sunday night, I felt like Notre Dame actually did miss C.J. Prosize. I don't know. You, I mean, you think he would have made that much of a difference over... I, you look at Josh Adams, he had 11 touches in the game. Or I'm sorry, 19 touches in the game. 11 were for two yards or less. I think C.J. Prosize would have done a better job. How is that much different than what C.J. Prosize... Yeah. I mean, one-third of his carries normally are, are, are that anyway, are they not? Yeah, but that's... Over 50%. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's so I, th- true. I think ProSize would have spaced it out. I, I mean, I still think it was the smart and prudent thing to do to rest oh, him. Sure. But I think that I, I sort of came out of the Pittsburgh game thinking like, wow, this offensive line is so good, it doesn't matter who you put back there. And I think after watching the Wake Forest game against a, a better, more sound, non-blitz all the time defense, it gave me a better appreciation for what CJ ProSize brings to the table. I, I, you know, Brian Kelly has talked about the tight end blocking, and I, and I thought it was particularly inconsistent in this game. Chase Housel had a couple plays that he made in the blocking game, but he was also very inconsistent. So was Tyler Luatua. There was no Nick Wisher. I think that contributed to it. The image that we all have in our head is of Steve Elmer getting blown up on that one play and getting thrown down. I don't know that's a real accurate indication of how he played through all four quarters. But, you know, we are seeing a real correction in the running game that remember we talked about early in the year that okay now here come the quality run defenses let's see what happens and what has happened is the Nordame has gone from 284 yards rushing per game through the first four games largely due to 457 against UMass to averaging 169 and 4.8 yards per carry in the last six games you know, they're in danger of dipping back under 200 yards rushing for the season, especially as they go into Boston College this week. I just, you know, I think maybe we had overrated the run game and the offensive line in general early on. I think we're seeing the correction now. I think I'd take 169 yards and 4.8 yards oh, no doubt. carry the next two games for sure. Oh, absolutely. And it's would, way better. Two wins. You know, in previous <laughs> years, if you said 169 yards per game right. on the ground, that would be really good as opposed to three or four games under 100 yards. Yeah, 34% roughly of Notre Dame's competitive carries. I When I don't, when I stop charting because the game no longer matters, they're non-competitive carries, I don't have the exact number of those. It's probably about 15 on the year. 34%, two yards or less. 
That's yeah, what it comes it's, to. Like, it's, it's a, a problem. It's a real feast or famine yeah. run game right now. And your point's valid, yeah. Pete, in that, I mean, Josh Adams is not an experienced running back. He and, has 60 college carries, of course, yeah, neither is CJ Procise. I think that the the point I should have made, in addition to the two yards or less, is on the first snap of the game, he misses a blitz pickup and Deshaun Kaiser gets lit up. Right. I don't think that happens. And Procise is Pro- good at that. And has Procise that picks that up. So, that's. I mean, that's an interesting development for me. Um, Romeo Quar with nine sacks. Uh, is is threatening the single season school record for sacks held by Justin Tuck at thirteen and a half, and Stefan Tuitt is there at twelve. I mean, that that's insane to me. It's remarkable. I wrote about him today um, in Monday's musings. He is he brings back for Notre Dame fans from twenty years ago. Devon McDonald played in the NFL. I know he had a better career than Okwara. He dominated at the end of his senior year to the tune, including the Cotton Bowl, which would be good for uh, Okwara to follow suit. I yeah. think. He's like he is amazing right now. First of all, the flying sack. I know it's only one slice. That was incredible, and he, that's not the most important thing. He's wrecking his side of scrimmage right now. Romeo Okwara. It's really good to see. I mean, I think you know. I was talking about body language. He's carrying himself yes. like you know what. I know I'm a pretty good player now. I don't know. He's twenty. Years yeah, old. he's twenty years old. Yeah, <laughs> and he actually he was. Brian Kelly said seventeen, but when he came to Notre Dame, he was still sixteen, he was 16. years He'll old. He'll be twenty-one in June. That is that is absolutely incredible. I will say, I just want to throw this in. I know nine sacks, and that's impressive any way you look at it. But I would li- I'd like to go back. I wish there was a, a cut-up where we could see each one of the sacks, because how many actually come on a straight rush, beat a guy, get to the quarterback, as opposed to rush, pushed around, quarterback well, moves around. Spinning around Sheldon. Right, and yeah. sit, right, and then six seconds later, he makes the sack. I don't... I don't well, want to nitpick, but I I don't I, know. It's pure pass rush. I hear you on that, but I think for the bulk of Romeo Acquire's career, he wasn't even around the football. No doubt right. about so, it. So, I mean, he's around the ball <laughs> a lot now, which just shows an understanding of how all the pieces fit together that he's never had. I, that, that's yeah, really impressive. No, I mean, I'm not trying to diminish. Yeah, I yeah. tailed the tape last week. I was all yeah. over Romeo Acquire well, I mean, as the most improved player out I, here. But I'm with you. Let's. He may he may tie Stefan to its sack record or Justin <laughs> Tucks, but that doesn't mean he's a, a pass no, rusher. He, no, he's not. And that's okay. No, I think that's all right, <laughs> yeah. but he's not just Justin Tuck. Romeo Aquara, when we were talking about him in September, he's not Justin no, Tuck, really. But no. he has 12, 13 stuffs in his last four games. He's played really, and that's really USC, well. that's USC, Navy, Temple, Pitt. I mean, I guess it's five games now. Wake Forest, yeah. but, you know, those teams are Norm's best opponents. Credit where credit, Mike. credit where credits due. Joe Schmidt's best game since Georgia Tech, easily right. Yes. I yeah. mean, he had ten tackles, but even really good first that, half too. He was in that. I mean, it's yeah, important to, he was to, active. To now, control. then you have to throw in the fact that it's a Wake Forest offense that yeah, you know but, is is not very good. But his best game. Hey, let me jump back to offensive line again and and the running game in that. And I think we all the injuries that have occurred this year, and we pointed out, hey, which one was the the most important or you know, most detrimental. And I'm not saying this is the most important or most detrimental. And there's Alex Bars probably wasn't going to compete with Steve Elmer for a starting spot, but he had played really, really well against Navy and USC. And I think I had wondered in the tail of the tape where, you know, I wonder if maybe he competes with Elmer because Elmer has struggled. Mm. Probably not because Harry, he stands not that type of offensive line coach, but he played really well. And, and that was a significant injury as well. Maybe, he would have provided some competition at right guard as opposed to left guard. You know, a couple other statistical notes on the upswing. I think Deshaun Kaiser, we spent September talking about, like, maybe he had a, a little hitch in his delivery, throwing to his left last two weeks, throwing left 14 to 15 for 112 yards and a touchdown. Um, I think you, you still sort of can hear the gears churning in his head sometimes. 
when it comes to reading coverages, and I feel like a lot of the sacks he takes actually are on the offensive line. And I mean, Definitely not. I, I joked with Ronnie Stanley <laughs> after the game because I saw him having an animated, like, smiling discussion with Kaiser after the game, and it was Stanley saying, I got your back on one, and you still got sacked. Um, so it's like Kaiser's understanding where, you know, corner blitzes come, I think is maybe something he is an ID great, but in terms of his accuracy, I feel like is is on a, on a, on a nice uptick right now. Uh, defensively, you know, you mentioned Joe Schmidt. I, I agree. I, I thought he played well. I mean, his, his third down tackle at the one-yard line, which ended up turning into a, a fourth down stop, is a tackle that probably nobody will notice uh, after the fact. Jalen Smith was awesome. I don't understand some of what Wake Forest was trying to do with him. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the overall the safety play was fine. And I then, think on yeah. fourth down, to their credit live, just watching it yeah. live, the fourth down play that he interrupted for the touchdown. And it was yeah, full so pass. Rigney to the tight end. I feel like they thought he might come again, and let's try and hit. You know, know, he just came in, a house of fire on the previous play. I, I think I was surprised John Wolford made it through the game. Yeah, I mean, they beat the crap out of him. I don't know yeah. why you take him out of the game. He runs the ball fine. Yeah. Well, he normally doesn't. I don't, that, that, was a, that, was, that was totally <laughs> an fast. anomaly. Plus yeah. the fast turf in Notre Dame. Everybody, yeah. Everybody's faster now. He though. did not have many running games like that. Let me, if I could jump back to Kaiser. You know, he faced a lot of three, drop eight. So he had to deal with that. I don't. Actually, he, only a, I, I only saw one snap where he faced drop eight against Wake Forest. Brian Kelly mentioned the drop. Eight, yeah, maybe I, maybe it was more drop seven. Now, there were some, br- some zone blitzes. Like there were a lot of times where they showed blitz and like would bring linebackers, but then defensive linemen would peel off. So I, I think that sort of went to what Brian Kelly's comments were about. Like he saw a lot of stuff and had to process yeah. a lot of things um, to to read things out. It, I was don't, a, it, it was a challenge for him. It's difficult to, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just kind of giving point counterpoint here. I think it, it's difficult to analyze what kind of separation the receivers are getting when you watch the. The game tape. I'd agree. I have such a difficult time in person seeing all that, too, because we're trying to chart this and thinking of questions you're going to ask and what angles and what have you. But I do, Wake Forest is 24th in the country in pass defense. Now, a lot of times that stat can be really deceiving because teams are running all over them, but teams don't do that to Wake Forest. So it's a good defense. I mean, any any way you look at it, I know everybody wants to go into the game and say, oh, Wake Forest sucks. No, Wake Forest offense sucks. But their defense is pretty good, and they do a lot of good things. So uh, that's why I, I didn't expect Notre Dame to score 40. I expect them to score in the 30s. They only had 28. I don't 21 think it, on offense. 21 on offense. Yeah, 21 yeah. on offense. So, you know, I, I don't – did Notre Dame play down to the competition a little bit? Sure. It was senior day, and I, I think emotions are emotions as they are. But Wake Forest is – Pretty decent defensively. And before we put Wake to bed a little bit, we talked about playing down to the competition. At one point in the second quarter, you're looking at a defensive line that had Blankenship, Bonner, Tillery. And Randolph. And Randolph. They didn't need to do that yet. Like when Brian Kelly said we mixed and matched a little, I think he was being compliment. Uh, he was not trying to take a dig at Wake Forest. If they were playing a better team... They would not have switched that much just because no. they didn't have Cage. And it was happening in Notre Dame territory. They would have asked, They would not have put no. that person No, so that out. was, we're going to win this game. I probably got a little tighter than he wanted at some point, but he yeah. thought, we're going to win this game. He's right. We could win this game by rotating in our defensive line. It should make the message board should have been exploding in happiness because in the second quarter you had a backup defensive line in. Right. Now they drive down the field, but that's what happens when you do that. If that was LSU, <laughs> it would have been Rochelle playing nose tackle the entire game to make up for the fact they didn't have Daniel Cage. You know, yeah. Jalen Smith made a lot of great plays, 
but he also missed a lot of run fits. And 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 when I I mean he's such a spectacular athlete. Tim and I were talking about before we we start recording. Coming off the edge, he is the greatest yes. Notre Dame defensive player in the history of the program. He's so much faster than anybody I can name coming off the edge at Notre Dame. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ludicrous how fast he is. Well, it's, it's these are a, unblocked usually, which isn't fair. Yeah, and it's kind but, of funny he can, but he turns the corner <laughs> yes. so well. But my point is, when when Brian Van Gorder said in the Showtime episode a couple weeks ago, you know, you don't he questioned whether Jalen Smith made other players around him better. I I agree with that. I I, I, re, I really do, and I think that yeah. he's so he's such a spectacular athlete that he makes these great plays, and we forget about the run fits that he misses and the eye discipline where I think he struggles. I think especially in the first quarter in this game. So I'm not trying to diminish how great he is. No, he's an he's All American, and yeah, you're and saying he could be the best player pick. in the country. Absolutely, as to being and he an is the, yeah. off the edge. He's the best player in Notre Dame football yeah. history. Not. Ross Browner was a, a different type no, of Justin player. No, Justin talks the best pass I'm not comparing him to yeah, a yeah. defensive end. I'm yeah. comparing him to an outside line. Yeah, right. And right. I, the, the thing, and when we talked about this on podcast during the summer, the thing about Jalen Smith was he freelances a lot, and like that actually frustrated some guys on the team. They would never come out and say that publicly. Right. But he's just that athletic that he can get yeah. away with it. And, and you're, you're glad right. that he does. Yeah, he, nobody yeah. else can do that. And we don't. I don't. I don't notice bad run fits live. Um, I barely notice. Oh, I don't either. I no, I have tape. to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um. And but man, when he comes off the edge, and they haven't done it a whole lot, they've done a little bit more the last two weeks. I think that's a a, a positive yes. change for Notre Dame's yes. defense because he is a. I mean, he's got like some Discovery Channel <laughs> in the Savannah Lion qualities about him, which is just I don't know really fun to watch. I know. I know why you two know what. Yeah. You're talking about there. I have no idea yeah. what you're talking about there. No, it's just. I mean, it's like when you watch. No, those, you have li- yeah, yeah, little yeah. kids. Yeah, no, it's like we watch those nature shows, and there's like the lion that runs down the gazelle. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I got you. It gotcha. is just like that is that's a predator out there. It's a line, outside linebacker slash predator. I I will often watch the binocular line. That's why I miss a lot of the uh, the uh, the perimeter stuff because I watch the line with the binoculars during the game. I had it on, happened to have my binoculars on Jalen Smith on the edge of that third down rush. And it was one of those things where I'm looking at it, I was like, ah! No. <laughs> he just came at me, came at me. And it was, that was, he had no chance. The court, they have no shot when he's unblocked rusher. And he doesn't miss either because you saw Martini come unblocked pretty quick. I thought it was Joe Schmidt yeah. actually, and I was interested. And then Martini I'm, missed wide open in an unblocked rush near the goal line. Um, in terms yeah, of I mean, a thirteen-yard yeah, game, there was yeah. another play where Smith blew up Walford, and Martini was about to get him, and Smith just <laughs> out of nowhere and just wipes him out. It'll be interesting to see Martini now in a full-time role. Uh, you yeah. know, I think what he gives up, maybe in a little bit of quickness, he is a he is, man. You know what? In open field, that is one sound fundamental yeah. tackler. Now, Andrew Trombetti, we saw more of than we have all year, right? Yeah, and with the made, cage injury, Rochelle right? Moved Rochelle inside. moved inside, and 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 uh, you know he had the big play, but. I think we also saw why he doesn't play on a consistent basis because he can't get off blocks in the it's run undersized. game. I mean, yeah. he's undersized. He's a slim defensive end right now. And he looks so inexperienced in playing, and he is, but he it, it, he needs experience. He needs to play more. You can't put him in this year to, to get him the experience necessarily. Yeah. But he, he more than anybody on the team, I think, for the little amount he plays, 
bites down on that read option when he has the responsibility outside of the quarterback. It is weekly when he's in there, and yeah. that you can't have that. No wonder he's not. It happened on that 23-yard yeah. run. By it happened him. against Temple. It, yeah. yeah, it's just excuse yeah. me, Pittsburgh. It's just something that uh, I think is is, is going to yeah. plague him until next year. Okay, we are. We could talk. Uh, all, we said we were only going to talk a little bit about Wake Forest, but anyway, we will uh, we'll move on to uh, segment two, burning up the boards. to Irish Illustrated Insider, segment two. Burning up the boards, questions from our readers. And our first question is from everyone, and he wants to know, what's up with Notre Dame's position in the college football playoff chase after last weekend? You know, I think there's ten teams where they don't need calamity to get into it. Uh, the tenth is North Carolina, where obviously that goal there is to win out and beat Clemson in the uh, ACC championship game. They're, they're the tenth team looking in. Um, I think Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Florida, Michigan State, and Iowa don't need any help. They just need to win every game. Obviously, that's a lot of teams, and yeah. there's a lot of people playing each other. Notre Dame needs minimal help, and uh, I think they'll get enough of it. And Oklahoma probably, Oklahoma needs more help than Notre Dame, but there's minimal too. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're going to be put up against Notre Dame if both are undefeated, and then it's just a choice between the two. After that, I, I think you're cutting off at this point. There's really no other options. I wrote that if the world goes crazy in the next three weeks, Michigan could actually find its way in still. And uh, Houston, if everybody <laughs> loses two or three times, he get in. But that's it. Um, I don't think Notre Dame was hurt that badly by Stanford. It didn't help. But if Stanford loses again and isn't playing for the Pac-12 championship, that would be a, a big problem. I, I think that the, the Oklahoma at 11-1, Notre Dame at 11-1 conversation is, is maybe the most interesting of all the scenarios because... Unlike the other Big 12 teams, Oklahoma actually played somebody in non-conference. They won at Tennessee, which right. is, I mean, it's impressive. Yeah, it's a, good, um, it's a good scheduling effort, too. It's a, yeah, it's a good win. There's good intent about what you're doing. And if they finish 11-1, and one, that means they will have run the table through Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma State. Um, I would still give the edge to Notre Dame, yeah. just because, like, there there actually is a common data point there, and we're you know, it's so rare that there actually is now. Would I say that is the most important data point? Absolutely not. But it is a data point that you can't ignore with the Texas performance. I thought, you know, the Baylor loss to Oklahoma was significant. I think sort of a, a sneaky significant result was Utah losing to Arizona because it's not out of the realm of possibility that Utah could have run the table and then beaten Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game. And then you've got 12-1 and Utah or 11-1 and Notre Dame. And Utah also would have beaten Michigan. That that probably right. would have gotten Utah in ahead of Notre Dame in a backdoor way. That that and that's a scenario that I don't think a lot of people were talking. Though about. the other data point there would be Utah got worked by USC. Yeah, and that would have been something people had to look at. But it's a good point. They would have been a Pac-12 champion. Beat Michigan would matter if Michigan, of course, keeps winning. Or if Michigan beats Ohio State, that win would look incredible. If not. Who know, well, who knows? It doesn't matter. Utah lost. But, yeah, uh, yeah you're right. That's uh, it, it, There's a lot of imagination still, and, of course, it's it's about to come down these next two weeks. Every Saturday is Elimination Saturday now. I mean, obviously, Baylor was eliminated. The Pac-12 right. was oh, eliminated from, from the competition. Of course, LSU and Utah, as you said, Pete, and, and Stanford uh, as well. Notre Dame's competition now probably is pretty much the Big 12, and there's still a lot that can happen there with Oklahoma's uh, – Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU's in a position to throw a wrench into things. I think they can just help Notre Dame, though, don't you? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think there's that tendency that we want 
immediate far-reaching clarity, and that's just not going to happen in the system, which I go back to what I was raving about. Uh, I don't know when it was, one of the podcasts last week, that it's so great. <laughs> all, all your ratings all right. run yeah, together. Yeah. It, was, it was last from, week. It was last Thursday. <laughs> from, from one rave to the next, they continue, that's kind of like, that's why I kept confusing Louisville and Northwestern yeah. last year. It was just eight quarters of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, it was eight quarters of bad football. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, and that's what I think is so great about this system is that there's so, there's so many possibilities so many openings for people. I like the list that you have there, Tim, in which if any one of these teams wins out, they're they're in. If Florida and, wins out, they're in. It's not going to happen, but if they win out, they're in. Right, and Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State aren't going to fall out of the... Ohio State will fall out if they lose, I believe. Well, yeah, oh yeah, yeah if they okay, lost, yeah, certainly yeah. if they Clemson's lost. Clemson's the only because, team that could get in if they You win. know, I mean, Iowa, obviously, if they win them all, but there's only going to be one Big Ten team. It won't be Iowa and, right. and, and right. Ohio State. Um and Michigan State's got the chance if they beat them. Right. Yep. Yes, exactly. So, I, I mean, I just I think it's fantastic, and I don't think Notre Dame's chances. Yeah, you would prefer that Stanford didn't lose that game, but I think still, if Notre Dame wins out, the odds are really, really good that they make it in the top four. They also, make it to number four. To your point why this is great, there's this little poll that doesn't matter at all. It's kind of like three, the three of us had a poll. It's called the AP poll. Do you guys know Oklahoma it's State? The app. I thought it was it's the, the app, app It's poll. the app. Oklahoma State is ahead of Notre Dame. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, you, man, that didn't take the, long. Just one win. All huh? you got to do is hold off Iowa State names and you jump. <laughs> in, in the coaches' poll, that, that's the same. And if you look at the voting, no play, no gap is tighter in the top ten than Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. Right. So basically, they're the same. And what do we? And you mentioned every Saturday is elimination Saturday. What do we have this Saturday? In addition to a trip to Fenway Park, Michigan State at Ohio State, Baylor at Oklahoma State, TCU at Oklahoma. Can I mention the dumbest poll in the world is the coaches' poll? <laughs> Since they have no idea how to vote, and, and they the have only, other people vote the, for them, the number one most. Are you kidding me? You're not going to Oklahoma State should vote Notre Dame twenty six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, you're going to be disingenuous right. about it, really, but be you right, right. But you would get called out now. Well, like, who cares if you're playing in the Final Four? Yeah, sorry about that. They're not in. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's you well, get called out, but people that's why it doesn't mean, count. Doesn't count, anymore, right? right? That's exactly right. All right, we'll get into next question. Statman seventy two. Should we be happy that the season's worst performance resulted in a 21-point win or discouraged that teams are starting to figure out how to best play us on both sides of the ball? Is Notre Dame becoming too predictable in its game plans? Uh, you know, in this week's point after, 15 of the top 25 teams, you, you can go through basically the entire top 25 and point to somebody that that struggled this this past weekend. I so I guess my answer is I, I think you should be a little bit more pleased with a 21-point win against at home against a team you were favored to beat by 27. It's not right. like it was an outrageous performance. And the other thing is, Erdogan was up by 21 for 33 minutes of that game. They were point. never they were never threatened in that game. And I, I, I'm not discounting the fact that did Nordham kind of go through the motions once they went up by 21? Yeah, I, I think they absolutely did. But... Winning in November is difficult. Style points in November are difficult, which is why I say I've never, I've never, like, I've always kind of cringed at that phrase because it's so damn difficult to play consistent yeah. football throughout a 12 game regular season. Suppose we mentioned that style points came if you didn't watch the game and they won 28 7. That's fine. If, if you're a Notre Dame fan and you were looking for improvement, you didn't see it. But I mean, I, I think I probably should have saved that defensive line note for this question. They wouldn't have had that fourth, the, the four backup defensive linemen into the middle of the second quarter in a close right. game against LSU. So I, I think 
Yeah. It's a hard and By the way, Wake's only touchdown came after a roughing the snapper penalty, which yeah. I, I need to call our uh, officiating expert on, on that because it's like even the slightest contact with the snapper right. is, a, is roughing. I mean, it, can, it felt like one of those, like, Dave Clawson was like, hey, they do this. What, call this. And the rest were like, okay. And they watched it. And what they Notre Dame game from? North Carolina last year. It was last Notre year. Dame, okay. And Notre Dame benefited right. from it. Right. Um, I didn't read or hear anyone bring that point up. No. No, it's weird how that works out. Um, <laughs> you know, it's in terms of, I guess, was this Notre Dame's worst performance? I mean, they were losing at Virginia, who's terrible. Um, so I'm not sure this was necessarily Notre Dame's. Worst performance where you had zero game pressure from start to finish. I mean, there, there are some games where, you know, you could be up by three scores and they cut it to two and you feel like the game's slipping away. This definitely was not even close no. to that. I mean, Tim, I think I said this to you in the press week. If they had played another four quarters, I'm not sure Wake Forest would have scored again. Right. You just never felt like Wake Forest was going to get Even though they, the they did move the ball, and they did some I, yeah, good things yeah. in the we, running game. Credit a bad team for playing well at Notre Dame, right? Yeah, I thought they did. I mean, I thought they were they were getting everything they could out of what yeah, they had. It just weeks, wasn't a lot. Two weeks to prepare. I know people don't want to hear that, but I did. That was the one question I threw into Brian yeah. Kelly yesterday uh, on Sunday. That man, when you when six of the twelve teams that you play have extra preparation time, and now Boston College, now Boston College, however. Like, I think a six of eight is like in an eight game six, stretch. Okay. Six had it. All right, and Wake Forest did a lot of things different offensively and defensively. Notre Dame's just trying to get better at what they do. Mm-hmm. Boston College and, and Steve Adazio is not. I think I mean, they. I think they put in the forward pass this week. They did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a huge advancement in their game, but they're not. That is not the type of coach. And not the type of program that's going to make radical changes yeah. in what they do on either side of the ball. He, he would love to be able to put in, make some radical changes offensively <laughs> you know they to need. make them better, but that's not going to happen. They need to trade for Wake Forest punter. Yeah. It would be huge for that game. It's good. It, no, it would matter. It would matter a little he's bit. He's good. <laughs> and how about, I mean, he's Australian. How about his technique? He's he's kicking the point of the football and still averaging 42 points per game. i got to see how many times or, we can get this yards, guy yards. on a podcast because it's two now. Wake Forest punter, I should say his name, but it's like the old days of the summer where we got Diaco accidentally yes. every podcast. If we can get his name into next week's podcast, we have done our job for him. Alex and, and, Kinnell? Yeah. And his record. All right, L-R Irish. Teams are attacking Notre Dame right up the middle and taking advantage of Joe Schmidt's lack of speed and ability to get off blocks as well as youth on the line with Jerry Tillery. How much do you think the staff can combat that moving forward, especially against Stanford? Probably not a lot unless you yeah. chose to move Rochelle inside, which they only do in special mm-hmm. situations. This, I mean, the situation came up a, a long time ago last year as to when they had injuries, when they had an opportunity to move them inside. Eventually they did, but mm-hmm. it took several weeks before they moved them inside. They prefer, or Brian Van Gorder prefers Rochelle outside. Jerry Tillery's hit a wall. Would you agree with that, Pete? Yeah, Didn't we yes, talk about yeah. that on Saturday? I mean, yeah, the elbow injury against Navy, and I think combined with just being a freshman, yeah. it's like a double wall. No right. freshman. You know, we mentioned Trumbetti and the difficulty he has in getting off blocks in the run game, so they're not going to, to move Rochelle inside. Man, you're 10 games into it. You're not going to do anything radical unless you absolutely have to. And I don't think this is an absolutely have-to situation for them right now. They need Cage back, and they need Schmidt to play against Stanford like he played in the first half against Wake. Stanford's better. It's going to be harder to get off those blocks. Much better running back, much better offensive line. But Joe Schmidt's capable of competing against Stanford. His best game last season, best game of his career, was against Stanford last year. I went back to look because it's about to become very important. 10 tackles, I think, not to misquote it, I think 
five of them are within three yards of the line of scrimmage is a pretty big deal against Stanford because they yeah. pound the ball. Different offense now, but he was capable last year. He just has to play well against them. It's a, I mean, this is a legitimate concern for Stanford. Somebody was asking me about this today on Twitter, just like, how do you think Notre Dame matches up? And like, I'm, I'm not real confident about right. how the defense, especially the front seven, is going to match up against that offensive line when they go with 12 offensive lines, yeah. 12 offensive lines set. Um, Martini, you know, however, would Martini, be, he would be Schmidt, on all of it, right? Smith. Yeah. Just yeah. like, that's not, I don't know. I mean, especially with Notre Dame's defensive line, the way it is, like you can see Tillery, Trombetti really getting rocked back in yeah. that kind of game. Yeah, and it's, not... it just creates this domino effect where then you're asking the linebacker to pick up an offensive lineman. And then you're asking Max Redfield to fly in and make this tech. It's, that's a that's, that game is going to be a challenge for Notre yeah, Dame. If, if if Stanford gets the pace of that game the way it wants it, Notre Dame is is going to be. And a, Christian a, McCaffrey is trouble. good, man. I mean, he the is, kid the yeah. kid's elusive. He can play physically. He can be elusive. He's a, he is a hell of a running back. Fortunately for Notre Dame, Stanford's defense is not the defense of the 2010, 11, 12, where they just wrecked scrimmage. Yeah, and because if they were. This would be a major, De- major problem. Deshaun Kaiser is not going to be any under any significant pressure right. in that game, in my opinion. I mean, you just, you look at his like, I mean, you look at his pocket that he yeah. that he throws in when he's getting pressure. It's because he's holding on the ball too long. I mean, I I just sort of chart like, is he under pressure? Is he not? I mean, he had 19 passing attempts. He was under pressure for two of them. And one was Adams, you mentioned that. Yeah, and I think against Pittsburgh, it was a similar scenario. I mean, it's like ne- almost 95 percent of the time. He's under really no threat at all, and he can just sit back there and sort of read things out. So yeah, we can criticize Notre Dame's run blocking, but their pass blocking oh, has been outstanding. outstanding. So I, I don't, I don't think that's going to change against Stanford. So it's, as much as we can talk about Stanford, like their run offense versus Notre Dame's run defense is an advantage. Stanford, you could totally see Will Fuller having two catches for. 92 yards and two touchdowns in the first half, and, and Notre Dame actually having some kind of working. And that's a secondary that was in, that was really, really good and really experienced last year. They had to replace everybody going so into the season. So you guys are just saying bet the over. Yeah, got it. That's got what it. he's saying. P.M. Moore, 1995. Kavari Russell has gone from being mentioned as a lockdown quarterback to a guy that looks at times like he has never played the position. How do you explain this? You know, Brian Kelly has been pretty quick to jump on the whole lockdown corner notion, yeah, saying there is no such thing. And I, and I get not that. even Mackenzie Alexander. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was. <laughs> well, I mean he would go. That's, like, a, that's what popped in my yeah, said that, that was a pretty good job. Um, I yeah, and I, I would agree. He's Kavari <laughs> Russell is not playing very well this year. Um, I don't really know what the reasons are for it. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if he feels he's not playing very well. Certainly, he would never admit that. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but I think the coaching job that Todd Light has been asked to do has been a real challenge as a, a first-year full-time assistant at the college level to coach a secondary that doesn't really have a nickel defense um, and try to get them into the college football playoff. And it was interesting talking to some of the players last week about Tory Hunter, about the coaching job that the staff had been doing him. And Todd Light was like the fourth name mentioned. It was Bob Elliott, Mo Crum, I think Van Gorder. And then, you know, he's also talking to Todd Mo Light. Crum. I, yeah, Mo, you... Mo Crum was the first name mentioned and Bob Elliott was the second uh, name. So I just think, I, I I don't really know what that says about Kavari Russell, but I just think Notre Dame's secondary overall, Todd Light's sort of like learning as he goes here, which is what happens if you're on your first year as a full-time assistant coach. Um, 
And I think the results is Corey Russell's not playing great football. And he's not. I'm not about to make a bunch of excuses for him, but uh, he probably doesn't trust his safeties at all. Um, looking back when I... Uh, nor should he. Nor should he, right. Um, I do know that the fourth down play that I blamed him for in Musings, it looks like that was Redfield. It looks like Russell was supposed to run under the coverage. Redfield was supposed to get there a 31-yard gain down to the mm-hmm. goal line. It's it's like the telltale play of him from the Temple game. Yeah. But, I mean, he's getting beat on plays where he's not turning around. I know that's people's pet peeve. A lot of times, Notre Dame's players are taught to run with the guy and turn out the last second. He's not making that last second turnaround. But I actually have a bigger problem with... He's soft on short routes that they doesn't need to be soft on against mm-hmm. Wake Forest. You know, it's yeah, okay well, no, to stay I, off Juju Smith a little bit, but yeah. what are you Number doing? Number 80, I, I can't think of his yeah. name off the top of my head for, for right. Wake Forest. It's, Why are you playing soft on that? My question is, when was Kavari Russell ever a lockdown cornerback? It, I, it, I think we, it, pro, we projected Yeah, we projected. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I mean, I'll take responsibility for projecting, but he earned this reputation against Rutgers, in the in the in the pinstripe bowl, so it's all and, about the pinstripe bowl, remember? right? I mean the the number <laughs> shut down Brandon Coleman. <laughs> yeah, who was a pretty good receiver yeah. with yeah. good size, but and and he and he got banged up at the end of that game, and you know, so that kind of completed the the circle. But when was he locked down quarterback? Mm-hmm. There weren't lockdown cornerbacks in Bob Diaco's defense. They didn't play that kind of defense. Right. They kept the football in front of them, and we did project with him. And so you figured, okay, he's back now. We, I think we all, I, I kind of underestimate he had a year off because he's a good athlete and he works hard and he'll be ready to go. But Kavari Russell never was a lockdown cornerback. And he, as much as anyone, he created a, his own <laughs> reputation by by calling himself an elite corner. Do we, do we overrate players who are great interviews? Yes, all the time. We are yeah. we are all guilty of that in the media. If you're a great interview, we just assume we're going to give you three benefits of the doubt, uh, and we did that with Kavari Russell. Now make no mistake, USC Temple, huge plays, significant yeah. game-changing or game-ending type plays, really significant, mm-hmm. and that, that has to be mentioned in this as well. And he has a chance to uh, turn it around is the wrong way. To say. He has a chance to make an impact because there was a time, I wrote a story, this is right after USC, he wasn't playing that badly. It was just that everybody expected him to be Deion Sanders and he was giving up yeah. plays, but he is playing worse since then. And that's the unfortunate thing. But if he could get to that USC level, whereas Pete, I think, said, you know, everybody remembers Juju Smith beating him. Juju Smith's going to be doing that on Sundays. He's going to beat yeah. corners. He beat Juju Smith when it really mattered, when he was isolated one-on-one and Kessler decided to go get him and he won the play. If he can do a little of that against Stanford, I'll take it. I mean, I was... I, I think we probably underrate his performance against a team like Navy, though, yeah, where yeah. I think he had seven tackles and s- at least six were solo, maybe all seven. And they're before um, first downs. Yeah. That's the key, too. I mean, he played really well in that game, too. So um, it's, it's it's a matter of perception here. We we perceived Kavari Russell to be a potential first-round pick, and he's not playing like one. If he was perceived to be a fifth-round pick before the year, we'd probably say, like, eh, he's having a pretty good yeah. year. I mean, those picks against Temple and USC were great. We would spend a lot less time... But- on the and the busted coverage or the you know yeah. miscommunications with safeties, but he perceives himself yeah. as a first round draft choice, and it's in his best interest that he finds a little bit of humility and, and takes an honest evaluation at himself as a as a football player and goes back to work as opposed to talking about his game and what he's capable of. Yeah, doing. and we we have not talked to him I in a couple th- weeks. I think it's an indication that. He- He's done talking about it, or they've asked him to be done talking about it. Because when he came out, it was after when was it? it was a great, it was another great interview with Kavari Russell. We talked to yeah. him. We asked him two questions that went on for thirteen minutes. It was pretty fun. 
Before USC? It must have been. Yeah, it was before the USC game, and then he played well, but we haven't seen him because of the Temple and Pitt results. We didn't see him for senior week. Yeah, I mean, it really, the last interview with Corey Russell was on a season with Notre Dame on Showtime when you saw Brian Kelly talking to him during practice uh, after yeah. USC and, and Kavari saying, like, you know, I, I haven't been practicing the way that I should, which is, hey, I mean, that's some self-awareness there yeah. from a yeah. guy that, you know, maybe yeah. we don't always think has a lot of it, but uh, he's got, he needs to really find a new gear, and if he if he does... And you can cut out a big play against Stanford or cut out a couple big plays. That could really swing that game. Um, so it's um, he's got a lot to prove the rest of the way. Um, but And it'll be interesting to see if Notre Dame's staff and Kavari Russell himself can sort of get that out. All right, we've spilled over on our time here. So we're going to wrap up. And until uh, Thursday when we give a preview of Boston College, where we're going to say many great things about their defense and many bad things about their offense. <laughs> For Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley, I'm Tim Priester.